May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Today our scripture lesson comes from the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, and I'll point you to that place when we read the text, just one verse. Uh, Before we do that, I just wanted to share an illustration about a well-known man named Warren Buffett. Buffett is the chairman and chief executive officer of the conglomerate Berkshire Hathaway, which owns more than 60 companies like Geico, Duracell, Dairy Queen, and others. So every time you get one of those soft serves at Dairy Queen, you're actually purchasing from Warren Buffett, one of his companies. He is currently worth over $82 billion, as cited by Forbes, and is the third wealthiest person in the world. From an early age, he learned the values of giving and is heavily involved in philanthropic, if I could say that right, philanthropic work today. He has committed to giving more than 99% of his fortune to charity. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, says this about Buffett. The lesson from Warren Buffett is that for wealth to be worth it, you have to give it away. You have to let it flow through your hands and go to the places where it can work. Wealth does, that does nothing but acquire possessions for, for our own enjoyment soon, soon grows stagnant and stale. Money and possessions for their own sake are a hollow victory. Real victory is what you do with the money, not the fact that you have it. The truth is, writes Kathy, you always get back more than you give away. Many of you know this firsthand. Most of us would not not even be able to afford one share of Berkshire Hathaway. Friday's close, are you ready for this, was $299,380 per share. However, most of us in this room, and I would say all of us in this room, understand the deep joy and the freedom that come from giving. Whether it's financial, whether it's our time or our abilities, we know the deep joy and the blessing that comes from giving. And I'm not talking about giving in a consumer kind of way where we're looking to get back something in return. We're, uh, I'm speaking of the deep joy of the blessing that comes from God when we are faithful and when we give. The ancient church of Antioch experienced this blessing. They knew it full well. And it's a large reason why the church at Antioch in the first century is a model for us today of what it means to be a transformational church in the 21st century. Today is the final message in a series of sermons since we've been engaged this summer on the Antioch church. Brief recap, in case it might be your first time with us, or if it's been a few weeks, maybe you've been traveling or so this summer. You remember that Jesus gave a command to his followers in his final resurrection appearance prior to his ascension to be with his heavenly Father. He would give them power, and then they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Subsequently, the Jesus movement remained largely in the Jerusalem area. There were some exceptions as we've studied over the course of the series. But as a result of tremendous persecution, 
a lot of it at the hands of Saul, who would be converted and become the Apostle Paul, the believers were scattered through the Mediterranean region and the Roman Empire, including the city of Antioch of Syria. The disciples at Antioch started to reach many of the Gentiles in the area for Jesus Christ, and the church just exploded. It took off. There was so much growth that some of the leaders from the Jerusalem church sent, uh, they, they heard of the growth, they, they sent someone to Antioch to check it out, and that was Barnabas, Barnabas and some others. We read about him first in the fourth chapter of Acts. Barnabas saw the spiritual and numerical growth in Antioch and knew that something special was happening. He knew that he would need help, help uh, teaching and discipling these new believers, and he knew exactly who would help, Saul of Tarsus. So he set out to Tarsus, Saul's hometown, found him, and shared what was happening, and Saul said, I'm with you. And they went back to Antioch, and the two of them spent a year there teaching the disciples. Luke reports that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. That's verse 26 of chapter 11. It is clear that generosity was part of the DNA of the church at Antioch. It's amazing that new believers from a Gentile background, a pagan background that had no uh, understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures and the stories of the Old Testament as we understand them, the miracles, some that we prayed uh, as we prayed to God just a few moments ago. They had no idea of those things, and Barnabas and Saul were able to help teach them. One day, an, a prophet named Agabus came down to Antioch from Jerusalem and told everyone that a severe famine would spread through the entire Roman world. Barnabas and Saul took this seriously, and they led the church to respond immediately. It, it would be like us today through our partners, Virginia Baptists and CBF partners, of sending a disaster relief team somewhere where there's been a hurricane or tornado or some flooding, etc. Very similar. In verse 29 of chapter 11, we see the decision that... Barnabas, Saul, and the church leaders made. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They were not content with figuring that someone else would do it. Often, we Christians have good intentions, but sometimes, you know, we will say, well, we can't really do that, but I'm sure somebody else will help. Or I see this need, but I'm kind of, I've got a lot on my plate and a lot of commitments and, I, you know, I'm sure another church will take care of that. That was not their attitude. They did something about it. They understood that God's economy for individuals and churches is based on giving and not getting. They needed to give away the resources to help the believers in Judea. I want to look at how this new church start lived into this principle. We would say first that the believers at Antioch were generous with their resources. It's a model for us. Churches have been practicing this for years and years. They gave away their money. The very first thing was that they, they decided to give away their money to collect a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Luke reports that the entire church gave. Each person gave according to his or her ability. The Greek word here is kaphos, which implies a proportion or a part or a 
percentage. And then euopereo, which means ability. So a percentage or a portion according to each one's ability. Everybody didn't have the same resources, but they all gave a portion proportionately. As one writer states, equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. You and I are called to give, but we have different resources and different abilities, different talents and different amounts of time. We are all called to give a proportion of those, but we, are not called, uh, we, we don't all give the same amount or time or service. Does that, I hope that makes sense. They gave away their money in proportion according to their ability. And the other thing we see happening in the church at Antioch is later they gave away their leaders. DNA of this church was generosity. If we go over to Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, we see how the church gave away, willingly gave away its leaders. This is following the year that Barnabas and Saul had spent there, and they were worshiping in the church, and then the Holy Spirit spoke. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and also Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. They commissioned Barnabas and Saul to the mission field. They gave away their leaders. It's one thing to give away money, but it's another thing to give away your first team. Our natural tendency is to give away our bench players. Well, we, we don't want to send our, our starters, but we're happy to share a few B players with you. Some of our folks who are on the bench, our, maybe our 7th, 8th, and nine people, right? Or in, if you're in music, you might say, we're not giving away our first chair, but we'll, happy, we'll, we'll share some second and third chair players with you. That did not happen at Antioch. They gave away their first team, Barnabas and Saul, the ones who had equipped the church for a year, had risen up and developed leaders and helped them to understand what following Jesus was all about. Church planting uh, often follows this kind of model. Churches will send an A-team out to start a new congregation somewhere or send them on a, a mission field and trust that God will grow, uh, will provide the other leaders that have been grown and developed in the church. I believe that's exactly what happens when, for example, one of our pastors might not be able to be here on Sunday. In today's case, Philip. He's away, and on short notice, others have stepped up and have led. We're following that same understanding. One writer states, creating a generous church willing to give away its resources, people, and money isn't easy in contemporary culture. Greed, materialism, egocentric leadership, selfishness, short-sightedness, the prosperity pseudo-gospel, and a general lack of faith in God will provide all work against developing a disciplined commitment to congregational giving. In the face of these kind of obstacles, then, how do churches model generosity like Antioch? How do we build a generous church today? And by the way, I believe HRBC is a generous church. 
I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Can we, can, do we, is there room for growth? Absolutely. But I believe that you all are a generous church. And I remember reading through many of the documents that the pastor search team provided me when I was being considered as the candidate for pastor. Over and over again, I saw where this church responded to situations or challenges and gave out of the generosity of, of their hearts. And I commend you. Thank you for being a generous church. We would say today that Antioch is a model, a counterintuitive model for growth in the 21st century. And I want to elaborate on these in the time that we have today. If you have your sermon uh, outline, you can take some notes. But what we see happening in Antioch was that Barnabas and Saul developed stewards while they were teaching. Stewardship and generosity did not happen by accident at Antioch. It was taught. As parents, Melanie and I have sought to teach a spirit of generosity to our daughter Isabella, who's now 14. But ever since she was wee little, we helped her understand giving. And her piggy bank, she has one for savings and one for entertainment and one for, for church. And uh, maybe you do something similar to that. But we have taught that to her as long as she's been on this earth. And that's the kind of teaching, I believe, that Barnabas and Saul modeled in the church of Antioch. They taught these new believers the stories in the Old Testament about how God provided for the old, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the stories of how God blessed and what it means to tithe or to give a proportion of one's income to the work of the Lord. That was happening. They developed stewards, people who would be responsible for what God had given them. We also see them practicing proportional giving, not only developing stewards, but teaching what it means to give an Old Testament tithe or 10% of what God has given you to the work of the Lord. And we would say that goes beyond financials. That's our tithing on our calendar, tithing with our abilities. God desires that all of us be an offering, that we practice proportional giving. Not only do they do that as individuals, but collectively sending a relief offering, that models institutional tithing. The church gave a tithe. And if you have been a member here for a while, you know that our congregation has a goal every year to give 14% to our mission partners. And this past year, I'm, I was so blessed to see that you all exceeded the previous year by 30%. I'll share a little bit more about that later. But you practice institutional tithing, meaning that if the church expects, expects individuals to give a proportion, then the church does that as well, and it models that. Recently, within the last couple of years, we sold some property that we had that was adjacent to the rental house next to our church, and the stewardship team and the trustees gave a tithe on the sale of those properties, 10%, and put it into the endowment for the future benefit of our congregation and beyond. I'm very thankful to see that. We also see that the Antioch Church met human needs. The offering they gave was because there was a famine, which meant that people would be hungry, which would affect 
other uh, parts of, of the community and of the family life there. So they gave out of the generosity of their hearts to meet human need. Generous churches meet human needs. We see that passage in Matthew 25, 40, where Jesus says, what you have done to the least of these, my children, you have done it unto me. Generous churches feed the hungry. Generous churches clothe the naked. Generous churches provide housing to the homeless, shelter to the homeless. Generous churches visit the imprisoned. Generous churches bring Sunday school to nursing homes like our Morningside ministry and other ministries similar to that. Generous churches provide relief when times of disaster come. Generous churches provide assistance and aid to those who are refugees. Our church is joining with an interfaith community in Bonaire to provide backpacks for children of migrants who are in detention centers. You can see the details in your bulletin. And it, we're not being political at all. We're saying in the midst of all of the politics, we know that we are called to give. When we visit in the prison, God doesn't call us to ask that person why they are there or to shame them. We are simply called to minister to those who are imprisoned in the midst of all of the politics. We meet human needs. We also give to support God's mission. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is the Acts 1-8 model that our church has as its mission model. We support missions, the, the mission of God, which is the local church, the mission efforts of the church, and the missionaries that are serving out on the field. We have partners in Slovakia, Macau, China, Macau, China, Charlotte, North Carolina, Owsley County, Kentucky, and Indonesia. And then we also relate to the various denominational mission efforts like the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and the Virginia Baptist, the Baptist General Association of Virginia and our local association, the River City Faith Network. And generous churches give away leaders. We willingly send our people on mission trips just like we did this past week. And we have over the years encouraged people to follow their call in whether it's seminary or missionary work or other uh, benevolent causes. These are some of the essential characteristics of generous churches that we see as an outpouring of Antioch. Now I want to focus just a few moments on some of the ways you are generous. We are generous as a church family. There are some slides that will appear. Know that there are a lot more. I didn't want to overwhelm you, nor could I, with, with uh, all of the photos from our experiences. But I just want to say thank you for the way that you give. Vacation Bible School, not only in the summer, but at Christmas time. I don't know of any other church, Amanda, that does it at Christmas. There may be some people doing it now because of the ministry that you and your team started. Owsley County, Kentucky, a decade of partnership and a very busy but successful week this past week. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. I can't remember, is it 40 years or 45 years for our child development center? Y'all, 45 this year, right? Thank you, Tanya. Our director is right here to help me. And we have several photos from the CDC today and are thankful for that ministry of Huguenot Road. 
again, park, uh, uh, partnerships with the parks in Slovakia and our uh, family in Macau, China, and Indonesia. We, we're so thankful for these relationships, the Blues who are in China. And Family Tree in Charlotte, North Carolina, a team just went there in the end of June. The clinic, which happens every September here, we have branched out and started a new clinic in Oregon Hill to help with the community needs there. Passport Kids is a camp that equips our children to be disciples and helps them to grow in Christ. And also Passport Choices for our youth, and they all went this summer. Mission Madness in the spring with Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Virginia. We have a partnership that we've started with Huguenot High School, and we provide prayer support and an op- uh, a opening game day meal and some encouragement and actually attend the games of the players at Huguenot High School basketball. You've already heard me talk about refugee ministry. We provide backpacks as well for the children in the South Richmond Baptist Center. We support Camp Alkyalana. We have a long relationship with Caritas. I could go on and on, folks, but I'd have to keep preaching after, after your lunch hour, and I don't want to do that. But aren't we blessed? Aren't we thankful for the generous spirits in this congregation? And I, I just am continuously overwhelmed. Uh, just give the Lord a hand. It's not about us. Let me, let me share this. You all gave 14% of your um, overall budget dollars from 2017 to our mission partners. That was a total of $156,213. And that's a 30% increase over 2016. I, I am so thankful to report that. You've heard that, but it just serves well to, to echo that this morning. And our Baptist uh, partners in our denomination and others are very thankful that you are generous. Ministry is able to happen around the world because of the spirit that is at work among you. So let me just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, and thanks be to God. God gets the glory, not us. I'd like to take a a minute of pause and... um, Bring a prayer today. And I'd like for this prayer to be with our eyes open. I found this from a liturgist. Um, this is a minister who writes liturgies, and it was so appropriate for today as we speak about generosity. So hear these words. If we're being honest, God's generosity often makes us mad. God gives to people we don't think deserve it. God is merciful towards those we believe should be punished. God is way nicer than we think God should be. We want God to adopt our ideas of fairness and equality because we think there isn't enough to go around. We think the goodness of God is a limited commodity. We call that scarcity. And the prayer is this, God, we admit that we spend a lot of time resisting your generosity especially when it's toward other people and we feel left out. We bemoan the loss of things we did nothing to create. We cry over the end of comforts. 
We concern ourselves with equal distribution and retribution. We complain about fair and unfair. We, who are we to decide the fate of a worker or a nation? Who are we to tell you what justice is, God? When the sun shines on both the evil and the good, is that fair? When the rain falls on the just and the unjust, is that fair and just? When a worker who works an hour is paid the same as one who works ten, is that righteous? When a wicked nation is saved from ruin by the mercy of God, is that goodness? This abundance, this generosity, this non-judgmental giving, these endless means are things we can't wrap our minds around. We are conditioned for scarcity. It's a great lie. We've all believed it, though, God. The world says, give equally. You say, give generously. The world says, give just enough. You say, give as if goodness will never run out. Because it won't. Your goodness will never run out. Help us, God, to live as if love and mercy and provision are unlimited. And help us, God to live in your abundance. In the name of the abundant God and his son Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. How a-